Major Lindsay in Africa presents Between the Legal Lines, a podcast focused on leading women lawyers who have pushed beyond the boundaries and found success. Welcome to Between the Legal Lines. My name is Eliza Stoker, and I am your host. This podcast is a series of monthly interviews within which we explore how women, who also happen to be both executives and lawyers, navigate those boundaries that get placed upon them due to their roles and their demographic. These women have found success despite those sometimes very narrowly drawn lines that govern what is acceptable and what is not. And each month, we will hear a new story from a different woman about what that's like. So I do have someone here with me today. Please tell us, what is your name and what is your current role? Thanks, Eliza. I'm Kate Murtaugh, and I'm the Chief Compliance Officer and Managing Director for Sustainable Investing at Harvard Management Company. And at HMC, we manage Harvard University's $39 billion endowment. That sounds like a really big job. How many direct reports do you have? Oh, I have quite a, uh, quite a few on my team. We've, uh, we've certainly grown over the years as, um, as the legal responsibilities and other responsibilities have grown in the endowment. Excellent. So tell me how you got to this high position. Sure. Well, my, my legal career got off to a, a pretty quick start. I completed college and law school in six years, so I graduated from Cornell Law School when I was 24 years old. Um, after graduating from Cornell, I, I clerked for a federal trial court judge in Rutland, Vermont. That was Judge Franklin Billings. And in, in many ways, clerking for me was like a, a fourth year of law school. I'd never had any intention of being a stand-up litigator, so sitting in a courtroom for a year really demystified the whole litigation process for me. And we had some very interesting cases. We were one of the first federal trial courts to admit DNA evidence, and that was pretty novel technology in those days. Um, after clerking, I joined Goodwin Proctor, a law firm based in Boston as a corporate associate. And my practice at Goodwin was primarily focused on M&A and corporate finance transactions. Most of my clients were in pretty heavily regulated industries like banking and real estate investment trusts. So it was pretty demanding and very intellectually challenging work. Um, I made partner on my 32nd birthday, which was a nice birthday present. Hey, um, sure I, is. Yeah. And I, became, yeah, and I was, uh, I was actually the fifth woman partner in the corporate department at that time. Uh, so after 16 years at, at Goodwin, in, in 2006, I joined HMC as the endowment's first uh, chief compliance officer. And in my 13-plus years here, I've grown from a department of one to leading a team of professionals with a very broad range of responsibilities. We cover uh, legal and compliance matters across the endowment. We're responsible for HMC's sustainable investing initiatives, and we also look after governance and communications. And I have a small team of attorneys that cover estates and non-cash special gifts to the endowment. So it's a really great mix of, of responsibilities and opportunities. I don't want you to date yourself on this podcast, but may I ask approximately what year it was that you made partner and what the general atmosphere was like for women partners at the time? Oh, I, it was 1997 when I made okay. partner. Uh, there weren't a, a lot of women partners at that time, and there certainly were even fewer women partners who had kind of grown up through the ranks. 
So um, in my experience when I was at Goodwin was a lot of the women partners who even came in after me were people who had been partners at other firms who joined us um, laterally. And when you were clerking, um, did that increase or decrease your interest in litigation? You went into it not very interested. How did you feel by the end of your clerkship? I really had never had much interest in being a stand-up litigator, so I really enjoyed my clerking experience. I think it's, it was a very novel experience for someone who was otherwise going to be practicing corporate law for the rest of my career to be exposed to litigation and, quite frankly, to a lot of criminal litigation. So I, it really, as I said, I really felt like it was my fourth year of law school in a way to really expand um, my experience in a way that I wouldn't have otherwise had an opportunity to do. Were there other students enrolled in the same program as you where you could do undergraduate and law school in only six years? Uh, it was a program that was available to other students, but um, I'm not aware of many others who took advantage of it. I am not either. I will just put that out there. That that is very impressive to me. Having done them one at a time, I thought that was plenty difficult. Uh, what did your parents say when you announced this as your plan? Well, I know education has always been very important to my parents, so I think they were they were very excited that I was admitted to the program, and it was something that I was very passionate about. Good, good for you. So you've had a lot of steady progress in your career, a lot of success. A lot of lawyers do not make partner at their firms, and certainly a lot of lawyers don't achieve the level of success that you have in-house. Along the way, were there any particular people that were helpful to you in your career? Well, Eliza, I've, I've been fortunate to have many wonderful and supportive people in my, my personal and my professional life over the years. Uh, it's tough, but if, if I had to pick out just one person in particular, I, I think that would have to be my father. Um, my father was first-generation American. He was the son of an Irish immigrant, and he rose from uh, very humble beginnings to achieve what he accomplished in his career. And as I mentioned before, he really prized education above all else and, and really encouraged my brother, my sister, and I, and I to excel at school. He instilled in us the values of honesty, integrity, hard work, and probably most importantly, humility. And those values have served me well in my life, not just my career. Um, and my father was always available to me if I needed a pep talk or wanted to discuss a particularly challenging issue. He'd listen patiently, help me make up a list of the pros and cons of any situation, and always supported my decisions. He really taught me how to be a critical, independent thinker. What about women along your career path? Have they been helpful to you? Have you had special relationships with them, or are they just like any other colleague? No, absolutely. I think I've had been fortunate to have some really wonderful colleague relationships, uh, both at Goodwin and and at HMC. And I, I still remember there was a, a group of us when we were growing up as associates at uh, at Goodwin that would have lunch together once a month and talk about our careers and talk about our plans. And and we still we still get together. Some of us have gone down different paths at now this point in our career. But um, I think that's those those friendships have stayed very, uh, very close to me. And I'm still very close with my uh, even women that I went to law school with who have ha gone on to have wonderful, successful careers in various aspects of law. So I, I really treasure those relationships. What do you, how do you respond when someone furthers the notion that women are not supportive of each other at work? 
Well, I think I just try to lead by a good example and make sure that I'm supportive of the people around me and of the my my all of my colleagues, but especially the young women in my organization. I think by leading by example on that point, you can really change people's mindset. Given all that you've just said and all that you've experienced in your career, do you feel that your gender is more important to you now that you've achieved what you've achieved, or was it more important to you, like, was it, excuse me, is your gender more important? Does it have more of an impact on you and your career today, or did it have more of an impact on your career earlier? Yeah, that's a great question, and, and I have had people ask me along those lines before. I really think that, you know, as I've advanced in my career, my, my gender has become less important to me, but the gender and the color of those around me have become more important to me. And I look back on some areas when I was a, a younger person in my career and certain issues that I probably would not have had the courage to advocate for for myself. And when I see those issues arise now in the position that I have now, I am more than willing to advocate for those positions for um, young women and people of color in our organization. So I feel now that I have an, not only the, the benefit of having experienced some of those situations, but also now have the privilege of being in a situation where I can advocate for people experiencing some of the things that I experienced as a young attorney. That does make me want to ask, I think you've already at least partially answered this question, but is it more about your having such authority in your current role, or is it just about growing wiser with age? What do you think has had the greater impact on, on how you now view your colleagues? Oh, I think it's a little bit of both. Certainly, there's always wisdom that comes with age. Is there anything, all right, let me start again. <laughs> I know I'm keeps having to do that. You haven't had to do that. What, if anything, do you wish you were freer to say or do at work? Or are there not really constraints on you? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I don't know that I feel constrained on any particular topics, but, you know, it's certainly a larger truth that solid communication skills are essential to being a successful and an effective advocate for both yourself and your positions. You know, as an attorney, especially in compliance, you sometimes have to tell your client things that they don't necessarily want to hear. And you have to find a way to normalize conversations about difficult issues. I really, I focus on clear communication and I read in a book once that, you know, don't over-dramatize the, the scary parts of the story when you're talking to people about difficult topics. I think if you build credibility, reliability, and a reputation for integrity in your day-to-day -day dealings with people, um, the difficult conversations are much easier to have. Do you ever find yourself choosing your battles? Um, and I don't just mean at your current place of employment, I mean throughout the course of your career. Do you ever find yourself saying, okay, I'm gonna let that slide? <laughs> or do you feel like you have a zero tolerance policy? Um, I think that really depends on the the topic. Certainly, as the chief compliance officer, I have a zero tolerance policy <laughs> when it comes to enforcing uh, what we need to do from a regulatory standpoint. That's um, probably good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's kind of my my job is, is to my job is to be the person with no tolerance for these issues. <laughs> that's that's probably very good, and I'm sure your employer is grateful for that. <laughs> um, so it does seem, 
I feel like when I get the pleasure of spending time with successful women, they do seem to, they don't seem to feel constrained in their behaviors. And it does make me want to ask you as an example, do you think it's a chicken or the egg question? Do you think the fact that you don't feel constrained has helped you be successful? Or do you think you're successful has helped you feel less constrained? You know, as you, you grow in your career and your confidence grows and your uh, comfort level and your own confidence in your, your peers and your coworkers grows, you're able to have those unconstrained conversations. I think that's just part of, of developing a solid team, whoever the members are. What advice would you offer to other ambitious women, whether they're listening to this podcast now or you meet them throughout the course of your life? What advice would you want other ambitious women to hear? Well, I think, I think that's, that's a bit of a generational question, so I may have two different sets of advice. Interesting. I think for, for younger women, um, it's so important to find your passion and, and really pursue it with your whole heart. You know, be confident in, your, in yourself. It's important to find a trusted mentor and a couple of good friends. Uh, continue to hone your craft throughout your career. And I always try to tell people to find at least one reason to smile every day. And uh, don't forget to breathe because at the end of the day, you're going to make it. And for people of my generation, um, you know, never forget that we're all standing on the shoulders of the women who came before us. I, I don't believe that anyone is truly self-made. You know, it really does take a village or a, a sisterhood to make the next successful generation. So be sure to do your part, you know, however big or small that is, to help the bright young stars in your organization, you know, whatever their gender or color, to become the next successful generation of leaders. We've been very much focused on your professional work, but I believe you also are very active in terms of your personal life and serving on boards. Do you want to take a moment to tell us a little bit about that? Sure, sure. I have had the, uh, I've had the great privilege to serve on the board of two wonderful organizations in Boston, the Center for Women in Enterprise, as well as the Boston Area Rape Crisis Center. And while those organizations focus on very different uh, aspects of the community, I have found that work to be, be quite rewarding. And over the years, working with my, my fellow directors as well as with the very, very strong staffs of those organizations. Now, obviously, the, the work of the Boston Area Rape Crisis Center is geared towards um, ending sexual violence through advocacy and, and social change. And the Center for Women in Enterprise works on developing uh, economic self-sufficiency. Primarily, most of our clients are women, for, primarily for women, and uh, also helping women entrepreneurs to continue to grow their businesses. What do you think is next for you? Uh, is this a job that you're going to retire from, or do you have your eyes on something even bigger? Well, I, I, this is a, this job right now is plenty big for me, and it's <laughs> been it's been uh, very interesting. And uh, HNC has gone through some really tremendous uh, evolution in the years that I've been here, and so I, I kind of want to see how the story ends. Do you do a lot of active recruiting for your team? I assume you make all the hiring decisions for your team. 
Are you having people send you candidates, or where do the people you hire come from? Uh, well, I've, I've been fortunate that my team has been pretty stable over the years. Uh, we do actively recruit when we have positions open, and we'll often do those through uh, a specific recruiter. Uh, a lot of the, as you know, whenever you post something, you do get an, a, a flood of incoming um, resumes, so it's often helpful to have a professional involved in that process so that we can um, find the right resumes in an in a, in a efficient process. Many employers today are very much focused on diversity hiring and diversity recruitment. Um, is that something that has pervaded your organization? And if so, are there changes that you've had to make, or do you feel like you've always had the luxury of diverse slates of candidates? Well, if I'm getting into I, a danger I, zone, I, you can tell me. <laughs> okay. No, 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 no. no. I, I certainly think that. Um, Diversity and inclusion is a very important factor for everyone these days, and particularly for people in the uh, financial services industry. And, um, you know, we think it's an important issue not only for us, but for our external managers and, quite frankly, for the investments that they make. It's really, a, you know, a central tenet to our investment culture is the belief that a healthy organization is critical to investment success and to succeed, firms simply need to attract and retain the best talent from the broadest pool possible. So that would really um, mean that people need to be broadening their pipelines, looking at different organizations in ways that they can be, become eventually to, be, to strive to become an employer of choice for all genders and for people of color. This has been Between the Legal Lines, and you've just heard from Kate Murtaugh, Managing Director for Sustainable Investing and Chief Compliance Officer of Harvard Management Company. I'm Eliza Stoker from Major Lindsay in Africa, and I thank you for listening. Tune in next month for a new story from another woman successfully operating between the legal lines. If you'd like to be interviewed for Between the Legal Lines, please contact me at eStoker at MLAglobal.com. Discover how Major Lindsay in Africa can help you navigate the legal landscape at www.mlaglobal.com.